gearing up for the weekend. Welcome to Hand the Pod. Welcome one and all to episode 405 of Hand of Pod. I'm Sam Kelly and this week I'm joined by Santiago Balsa, who has just, uh, his computer just died then, as, as I said his name again, so he'll be with us in a minute. And English Daniel Edwards. Good evening. Welcome down. Uh, while Santi's not here, I may as well do something I've been meaning to do for a, a few weeks. Yeah, Santi's just sent me a WhatsApp saying, fuck, sorry. Um, I'll, I'll do something I've been meaning to do for a few weeks. And first of all, remember to plug our own Patreon page, which we keep forgetting to mention. But if you want to support the podcast, um, then you can do so. Go to patreon.com slash hand of pod. You can choose the tier that you want to sign up for and you can get lots of extra i was about to say free then but obviously it's not free because you would be paying for it uh but you can get lots of extra content hot off the presses um from us there um i'm just checking that santi's yeah his, his battery's gone so he'll be back with us in a minute um the other thing that i wanted to do was that my own favorite podcast gave us a very unexpected plug about a month and a half ago um i i support them on patreon and uh wrote to them quite some time back and they finally got round to sorry that's the cat knocking things over as she walks across the computer desk <laughs> and they finally got round to um reading out my hello email and uh the is well the, the the main presenter on that podcast um then re- continued reading my email down to my email signature where he read about the podcast that I present and was kind enough to mention it even though it's not a football podcast it's got nothing to do with what they cover. Um, but in return, I thought I might as well recommend them. They are a wonderful history podcast uh, going through. In the first series, they, they went through all the kings and queens of England from Alfred the Great through to the modern day. In the second series, they did the same thing for Scotland, up as far as uh, Edward VI of Scotland and first of England. And in the third and current series, they're going through all of the king, the, the queen and prince consorts of England. Uh, and they're doing it all wow. with a, a very good sense of humour, which, of course, is vital when you're talking about history. Otherwise, it gets a bit dry. Um, do check it out. It's called Rex Factor. Uh, so similarly, <laughs> if you appreciate the name Hand of Pod, then you should appreciate the, the podcast title Rex Factor as well. Um, That's very good. So thank you very much to them, although they're almost certainly not listening because uh, Graham, at least, is, is not a football fan, I don't think. Um, but thank you very much to them for the plug. And I finally remembered to give them one in recompense, so to speak, as, as the bishop said to the milkmaid. Uh, Santi is now back with us. Welcome back, Santi. Hi, guys. Sorry for, you know, coming and going. Um, my computer had a, an issue with, you know, charging. That's quite but, uh, anyway, yeah. But anyway, I'm, I'm pretty happy with the results of the weekend. Yeah, I was about to say that because it's been last week, I was rather too busy to record. Um, and because it's it's been sort of two rounds of matches in the league, plus we've had some Copa Argentina, plus we've had uh, Libertadores and Sudamericana knockout stage action starting. It might be easier if we go through this week club by club rather than round by round, if that makes sense. Um, I guess the natural thing to do is going to be to discuss Racing and Independiente as the first two teams since A, they played a Clásico that we didn't get to, re- to preview because we didn't record last week um, and B, you two are here. So which of you <laughs> would like to begin by telling us what a brilliant couple of weeks your team has had since we last recorded? Okay, granted. There's not been a brilliant couple of weeks. Uh, up until the, the Clásico day, Independiente's week was miserable, basically. Um, they had scraped a 1-1 draw against uh, a Platense team, which I think they were, they knew um, throughout the game what was their game plan, what they were looking for in the game, how they, they needed to, you know, um, 
limit in the Bayinta strengths. Uh, in the Bayinta, of course, are a team that have a very slow buildup and they have a they they get a lot of doubts uh, when they have a, the ball for for too long and uh, they are very they're not very direct passers with the ball on the ground. You know, so if you cover the spaces enough, um, you can you can deny them pretty easily, and that's exactly what Tajeres did. Um, they sorry Tajeres uh, Platense did, so they they got that one one draw. Then we lost uh, to Tigre, bloody Tigre from the second division in the Copa Argentina. So the 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 expectations and the the prospects of uh, you know coming uh, from the Clásico with uh, something were low. But alas, we did. We did. We we won one nil. Um, there was uh, there were just so many unbelievable chances. Uh, both teams uh, missed, I think, uh, in both halves. But um, I mean, one factor was clearly the fact that the, the there had been some heavy heavy rain before and during the game, which made the, for some comical. You know, scenes uh, with the ball and uh, some racing crosses that were, you know, stopped uh, in a way or uh, or weakened by by the strong wind. So that was fun to watch. Uh, a little bit hard to like inducing, but fun to watch anyway. Um, but anyway, uh, I don't know. It's just uh, it's it's just a, a difficult game to analyze. I think because. Uh, had it not been for for the fact that one one ball went in, I think it could have gone either way. But uh, the the truth is, uh, this was a win that in the painted needed so much because you could argue that Racing was probably the first proper uh, opposition in the painted faced in the in the sense that um, they're the first the first uh, opposition they faced that could potentially potentially fight for you know the the upper echelons of uh, of the table. Um, and uh, the fact that even if uh, it's not exactly a strong argument from the from the perspective of you know actual actual tactics, uh, but uh, from an emotional perspective, to get that this win is is a big big factor. Uh, in the main, of course, we'll have to deal with um, both of their starting midfielders um, carrying injuries. Uh, the Lucases Romero and Gonzalez uh, for the future. The the they they tried playing the the classicos well as uh, R- Lucas Rodriguez. Um, they couldn't complete the the ninety minutes because of their the the fact that they were carrying injuries. But uh, still, I think the painter needed this win so 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 much, and um, the future is still uncertain. And the Fasioni, you know, you can't expect a lot. But um, I don't know. It's just uh, such a big morale boost, and to finally. Um, be on the top of the table for the first time in more than 10 years 10 bloody years it's you know it's it's an achievement it's really an achievement i was i was about to say that independiente's winning the clasico came from quite a late goal from silvio romero uh, i've just looked it up to double check that and while i did have the goal score remembered correctly it turns out that it was only 69 minutes in uh, which means it just felt late because I mean, we're going to talk about the Super Classico a bit later, but neither of them were very good matches. Uh, for uh, as, speaking as a neutral, um, Independiente versus Racing was—it wasn't exactly a thriller, was it? Well, I mean, um, for for fans of both teams, of East, it of course was a thriller in the sense that you know every time the ball came near, oh, it was on a knife would... edge all the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, as I said before, um, you know, several passes, passages of the game were, of course, clearly influenced by the fact that uh, the pitch was, you know, it was doing its best, but it's still a, a waterlogged pitch with such a heavy rain. It would always make things difficult. Mm. But that didn't stop the fact that in a paint and Racing just missed chance after chance after chance after chance until one finally went in. So, Dan, uh the the logical segue here is what did you make of the classic off from Racing's point of view and how have Racing's last couple of weeks gone? Yeah, I seem to be a little less perturbed by it than a lot of other Racing fans. We should mention that the classic proved to be the last game in charge for Juan Antonio Pisi, who was sacked, I think, 
Tuesday, Wednesday, some day leading. I think they, uh, they made it official Brasico. Tuesday. So I think I have a theory that uh, they made it official Tuesday instead of Monday, which was when there were the first rumblings that he would be sacked so that it wouldn't be, you know, a direct, uh, a direct consequence of losing the derby. Yeah, brilliant. Um, they really covered that up well. Um, I think I agree largely with what Santi said. You get a game like that and it was so wet, you know, they had massive puddles on the floor. There were parts of the pitch which were essentially no-go areas because of the amount of water um, that was on the field. It just made dribbling the ball impossible. And I think when you get matches like that, especially between two teams kind of so well-matched in their limitedness as Racing and Independiente are right now, you know, so bereft of ideas even, you know, if you're playing on a sunbaked pitch in the middle of summer and everything's, you know, in, in perfect conditions, it's so hard for them to create anything. It's it's gonna, always going to be a game that's completely up in the air. And, and as Santi said, both teams had chances to win it. Both teams missed chances to win it. Some terrible chances missed on each side. Um, and that was my feeling, you know, like uh, when you get weather like that, it's it's basically a free-for-all, you know. One team can win, the other team can win, you can draw and and it's really not going to have much impact on, you know, on making overall conclusions about how either team's doing or or anything like that. And I think the game before, since you mentioned it up, Racing won, if I'm not wrong. Yes, they beat Sarmiento de Junín 1-0 um, through Benjamin Garret. Yes, yeah, a belter. Yes. Um, and I've got to say, I mean, I think PC has done more than enough to merit being sacked since taken over or not done anything to be uh, more precise because, you know, I've talked, to this, talked about this so many times on the podcast, just how this team just doesn't play at anything, really. It's um, so hard to get any sort of enthusiasm up for what they do, whether they win, whether they draw. It's just been very, very, very hard to watch. Um, and I can't hold it against any president, any directors who would want to change that, uh, particularly since a lot of the big games, you know, and, you know, fair play to Pizzi that Racing have battled and qualified for big games, but they've, they've gone the other way um, and quite spectacularly badly in many cases. Uh, but at the same time, I think... Sacking the guy on the back of this complete crapshoot, um, and you can take that in the literal and figurative sense, which I think it's um, they're both valid. Uh, that was the game on Sunday, is harsh because of all the games of the PC era, let's say that this is probably the least reflective of, of what he was as a coach and what he made the team do. And I thought, you know, there are passages even where Racing. Uh, did okay, especially uh, I think especially at the start, they managed their conditions a bit better than Independiente. They they came to terms with it. Um, there were serious problems at the back, uh, which led to a few chances. Um, yeah, I think probably overall, the most, you know, I've uh... seen I've seen worse from pieces of wrestling. Um, I I can't argue with the decision to sack him, but making it as a reaction to that game, where I wouldn't say. On the back of it, he deserves to be sacked is a mistake. But then again, whatever. Let's see uh, what comes next for for Racing. It's it's going to be a tough one. Yeah, I would say that maybe the the decision that probably sealed uh, PC's fate was um, withdrawing uh, Lisandro Lopez after about an hour of play. Um, I think that was mostly because of injury, was... to be honest. Um, was was it an injury? Because I mean, he was like by far the best racing player on the pitch. He was driving the the centre backs crazy. I mean, he's out for the weekend now. He has a muscle tear, but whether Oof. he did that in the game or he did it, um, you know, in the week, I'm not sure. Um, yeah, he tore a muscle. Oh no, that came in the in the week, but. I think as well, you, you know, the guy's 36, uh, 38 even, sorry. He ran his ass off. Um, 
And of course, you want him on the pitch when he can, but also you've got to face reality. He's not a guy who can play 90 minutes every single match, especially in, in those conditions. He must have been fucking shattered. Um, yeah. And I think if that was the reason, it's even stupider than just on the result. Yeah, and also um, I agree with what you said about um, about maybe not just being this uh, this game, the, the one that warranted PC sucking the least, but also I think they played straight into Independiente's hands because um, Racing do have a history of sucking managers straight after classical defeats, after all. You have a Leop in 2009, Basile in 2011, Coca in 2017, and now PC. Have you got any equivalent um, figures for Independiente doing the same, Santi? Yeah, before we say that, maybe. I might be wrong. I might be wrong, but I think I think uh, Gacheo was probably sacked in 2013 after losing the Classical. Maybe or maybe that was maybe he won the Classical. I, I really don't know. I think I made on two in two. Ah, yeah, because uh, the final game of the season possibly. was. Yeah, because that was the final game of the season. They they had to beat Racing to qualify to the Libertadores, and they didn't. There you go. Yeah. So it happens on both sides. To be yeah, fair. yeah, yeah, yeah. Who knows? Well done, Independiente. Like after four years, you can't begrudge them too much. It was it was a long time. I'm glad they. Could yeah, be happy. it's still it's still a difference of 23 games, so it's not exactly. You're talking like, about games you know, from the 70s, Santi. We're already. Yeah, but we, we gave you all that advantage and you still are 23 games behind. Nah. Yeah. Anyway, moving swiftly on. Um, another team who have sort of... Well, I, I think we have to put it down as a good couple of weeks, but what I was going to say was that they were also in action on Sunday um, with Boca Juniors, who since we last recorded, have recorded three draws. That's it. Uh a nil-nil against Tacheres in the Superliga, right? in the Superliga, in the Liga Profesional. A one-one against Argentinos immediately before the Clásico de Avellaneda that Dan and Santi have just uh, been disappointingly non-arguing about. Um, and a nil-nil with River in. And now I'm forgetting this, Santi, because I corrected you on it on our WhatsApp group at the time, didn't yeah, I? But this 16, was right? the last sixteen of the Copa Argentina, yes, and then. Uh, in your defence, Santi, the match that Independiente lost to Tigre, was it the previous day or earlier that same day, was in the round of 32. Um, yeah, because exactly. as we always have with the Copa Argentina, you've got one round playing while the previous round is still going on. Um, but the reason that Boca have had a good couple of weeks is that they won the shootout in that match. They are through. Uh, River out in the round of 16 of the Copa. I mean, they haven't been out in that early in the Copa Argentina for a very long time. Um, and as we will mention in a little while, River have had a much less impressive couple of weeks since we recorded. But for Boca, things have gone pretty well. I mean, I think particularly given on Sunday, the fact that they actually fell behind at home to Argentinos. Um, and you two both alluded to the conditions on Sunday. One of the, the lovely things about living in Buenos Aires uh, is that when you get a storm and you happen to not have to leave the house, you can just crack open a drink and sit down and enjoy the storm. It's particularly nice now I'm up here on the sixth floor with a nice clear view over the neighbouring neighbourhood and I can just watch it. Um, but when you have to play football in it, it's it's a bit less pleasant. And I always think that when a team, as Argentinos did, managed to take a relatively early lead, it kind of plays into their hands nicely when the conditions are like that because it makes it so much harder for the side who have to, to do the attacking. You know, you can't really play slick, fast-paced football along the floor when every time you pass the ball, you don't know whether it's going to continue running or whether it's just going to stop in a huge cloud of, uh, well, cloud of water, if that's a thing. Um, but eventually, Boca were able to dig in and they did get an equaliser. It was an own goal from Miguel Torren. Um, and that was enough to see out the game, even though Edwin Cardona got himself sent off a few minutes later. So that showed a lot of, of character, I thought, from them. Um, and by and large, some interesting performances. But what do you think, Dan? Go on. I think you're being a little bit um, over positive when it comes to Boca, to be honest. Uh, they haven't won in any competition for eight games. They're fourth from bottom in the league. They went uh, five games, five whole games without scoring and set a new team record for not being able to score. They went 
free games was, without yeah, six, managing a shot. minutes yeah. or something, was it? And, yeah. and also right uh, right after ending the that scoring drought, uh, the scorer of that goal, Edwin Gartona, got himself sent off. Yeah, it was an own uh, goal. I think the last person to score a goal for Boca was Agustino Bando on the first day of the season. And I would Bloody just hell. I would just like to clarify that this is why I said that I think we have to say that Boca have had a, a, a couple of a, a good couple of weeks on the basis that they won the shootout against River. Um, I don't it's think very it's much going to paper over the cracks. To be honest, I think uh, something from the fans' point of view, I'm sure it does. Um, also, I, I also, mean, I think. I I think we're probably also, you know, um, overstating the the relevance or the importance of that uh, of that uh, Super Clasico, maybe because I mean I, that must have been one of the least uh, anticipated Super Clasicos I have ever seen. Yes, you know? agreed. Yeah, I mean, so no early one on cared Copa, about it. So early on in Was the season it? and in the Copa Argentina as well exactly you know in in the early well the relatively early stages of the Copa Argentina and being so soon after uh, the start of the season kind of uh, and the game and the game itself was absolutely dreadful too it was not not entertaining was it oh god so bad so sad just trying to bring up the the stats at the moment this year right yeah Yeah, we got started early with that one on the 2nd of January yeah Um, yeah yeah, Two in the uh, Copa de la Liga, and now this one, yeah. Yeah, yeah two in the Copa de la Liga, then one in the latter stages of uh, yeah. in the latter stages of the the previous uh, Copa Maradona, and now this one. And uh, <laughs> what I'm really really shocked about is that out of all four Super Clásicos, none of them have been played at the Monumental. None oh. of them. I think that they it's been like five Super Clásicos, counting the last one from the previous year. Um, and none yeah, of them have, yeah. have been played at the Monumental. Because I was about to say, well, were River playing at the Monumental when they met earlier in the year? But they they were, weren't they? Because they started playing in the Monumental again. Exactly. Uh, and no, actually, I think, I think Boca, year, right? Boca, were, Boca were hosting again. I think it was at the Monumental. Ah, uh, yes, you're right. It was the, the the one at the very beginning of the year. Yeah. Uh, it, last Wednesday's match, of course, was played on neutral ground in in La Plata of course it was thank you um, I've just looked at the stats and although statistics obviously don't tell us the whole story of the match in this case it does give you an idea of how dull it was uh, three shots by Boca none on target River had eight shots and only one was on target um, and that's really about River I mean, had a good, that's as a much as you need to know chances. Just, if, if River, River had, had a couple shooting of chances if River had had the shooting boots on, then, then you know, they, they could and should have won it, really. But it, it was, as you said already, it was far from a classic. Uh, and terrible penalties in the shootout from River. Um, really not good ones, whereas all of Bocca's were... All of Bocca's, yeah, I, I can't remember any of Bocca's being sort of, oh, he was a bit lucky to score it. I think they were all quite well hit. Um, beginning with Marcos Rojo, who led with the first kick. Um so yeah, I mean that's Boca. As you say, it's pretty underwhelming, um, and that brings us on to River, who have had an outright poor couple of weeks. After in our last recording, we hinted that they might be title contenders. Um, <laughs> that's not gone well as a prediction. Uh, since we last recorded, they have drawn at home to ten-man Huracan, one-one. Um, they needed a very late equaliser to do so. Brian Romero doing what he hasn't normally done for many of his clubs before and scoring a domestic goal, um, getting the equaliser shortly after Cesar Ibanez was sent off. Huracan had been ahead for about half an hour by that point through Nicolas Silva. Uh, then there was the draw in the Super Clásico and the subsequent defeat on penalties to Boca, as we've just mentioned. Then something that River, it feels like they haven't experienced in a very long time, defeat in Mendoza. Not just to any side, but to Godoy Cruz, who of course are the team who play matches in Mendoza, but they've played plenty of neutral matches there as well since. Um, and they've tended to always win them, but Godoy Cruz got a penalty about 15 minutes in, which was scored by Martin Ojeda. Julian Almeres equalised early in the second half, but then Ojeda got a second of the match just over an hour in, and that was how it finished. And it was an impressive showing really from Godoy Cruz they I mean 
it was kind of the, the the opposite of the Super Classico of a few days before, really. Both sides gave it a good go. The finishing was about as good. They both had loads of shots off target, um, but much better stuff. And then in the really big match of Rivers last couple of weeks, uh, the other night, they lost 1-0 at home to Atletico Mineiro in the first leg of the Copa Libertadores quarterfinal. Uh, the goal was scored by Nacho Fernandez, who got himself sent off shortly afterwards as well. Um, against his old club, of course. Um, now, yeah. Atlético Mineiro are trying to appeal that uh, sending off. Uh, we'll see if they're, if they're successful, but uh, I don't think they have a that uh, that strong of a case. No, I don't think they, they are... do. It was, it was a fairly high tackle. Yeah, I mean, he went we, in almost at knee level. They, so. they say the the VAR uh, referees um, in, at first they claimed it was a, a mild challenge instead of a something stronger, but you know the images can't lie, can they? No, exactly. I mean, the the replay showed it. The referee changed his mind on the basis of the replay as well, because originally he just booked him. Um, I think so Menado is just doing it to, to piss off Boca fans, to be honest. <laughs> Just to troll them. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Sorry, I'm not your modern lingo, but yes. Piss off troll. I'm guessing they're sort of synonyms, aren't they? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, I thought overall, Mineiro, I mean, just about shaded it, though. It was a fairly open, entertaining match, but I, I thought that they were the slightly better side, which given how their matches against Boca in the last 16 and how Rivers' uh, last 16 tie have gone surprised me slightly I was expecting River to have a bit more but they they looked a bit flat and I just wondered whether it's the sort of negative momentum if that's not really a thing is it there's no such thing as negative momentum but you know what I mean the inertia of the last couple of weeks had, had got to them already but it seems awfully early in the season for that to be happening to a Gasharado side yeah I just think they're struggling to score goals to be honest the chances are coming um uh, I think uh, they've missed Matias Suarez, who's missed the last few matches. If I don't remember, if I'm not remembering incorrectly, I think since the yeah he, he the, came off the, the bench quite game. late against Atletico. Yeah, way. and he looked a bit um, out of um, out of practice. So mm. if they can get him back, uh, it just adds a different dimension. I think to the River attack a little bit more support. Um, Otherwise, it's kind of Romero foraging away on his own, which he can do, but it's a lot to ask for someone, you know, who's, who's just moved to a club like River. Uh, I don't think they need to panic yet. I mean, they're going to start picking up points in the league at least, but they've got a hell of a, a task on their hands um, to come back against Menado. I think. Is the next game this week or uh, next week or, or have we got a week in between? The second leg is on the 18th of August, which is next, next week. week. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's going to be difficult, but 1-0, I mean, we all know River when when they bring their shooting boots, uh, they're capable of scoring two goals, even in Brazil. Um, remember what happened in the semi-finals last, uh, last time, yeah. I can't. I can't even remember the years now. Yeah, yeah, it was. Well, yeah, it was. It was last year's Libertadores semi-final, yeah. which was played in January just, of this year, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, and it could have been like three years ago in my head, mm. uh, where they came back. Yeah, almost from three 0 down, um, and in Brazil, no less. So, I don't think they're going to be particularly daunted by that, but it's not going to be easy. Um, you'd, you'd have to put Manado as the favourites at the moment because. You just can't see how anyone's going to score against them, really. Like they're so strong um, in defending that lead. Uh, you know, they kept Bocker out um, between in inverted commas uh, in both games in the last sixteen, and they only conceded three goals in the group stage. It's a very, very strong team, uh, and they'll be more than happy to just let River come at them. I think. Um, let's see if they can do it. Indeed. Yeah, but on the other, on the other hand, uh, you have to take into account the fact that uh, River are, have such a good record of turning leads around in Brazil against Brazil teams. So, you know, you can you can never sleep on River. Uh, you know, on a tie like this. No. Plus, you'll have to excuse me a second. The cat just decided to walk right between me and the microphone, um, which was quite a small space. 
but she managed to squeeze herself into it. So if I went muted there for a second, then that's why. Um, plus, you know, you just, just don't bet against Gasharados River in, in the Libertadores knockouts, really. That's never... Get out the way. That, that's never been a, a good way of earning money, is it? Um, moving on, one team whose last couple of weeks we have to mention are a team who... I'm just going to pause for a second because we might be about to get confirmation of it. No, the referee's allowing play on. But in that case, I'll just say it right now. Colón, who are currently top of the league, having won, of course, the uh, Copa de la Liga just very recently. And they are currently six minutes and 20 seconds into a projected six minutes of stoppage time, which is why I'm just trying to hang on and spin this out until we know the result of what's been quite an entertainingly bad-tempered match against Gimnasia. Colón have had a man sent off. Gimnasia have had two men sent off. Colón have scored one goal. Gimnasia haven't scored any. And he still isn't going to blow for full-time, the bastard. So since um, we last recorded, when we last recorded, I think Colón had just beaten Godoy Cruz. There it is. Had just beaten Godoy Cruz 1-0. Since we last recorded, they have beaten Vélez 1-0 away. And have now, just this moment, also beaten Gimnasia 1-0 at home. Uh, so... Sorry, Santi. You have five days at the top, at least. I'm sure you enjoyed it. Yeah, uh, who, knows, who knows what can happen in the weekend? <laughs> we that, that, see. Have you got... That uh... means that after, after six matches, Colón have four wins, a draw and a defeat. So it's looking much rosier for them than it was certainly a couple of episodes ago when we were just uh, reviewing them, having lost 4-1 uh, at home to Lanús in only their second match of the season. Um, yeah, they're, they're going great. As we say, Independiente are second. Uh, Lanús are third and Newell's fourth, both on 10 points. Uh, they've, they've all had decent spells as well. Have any of the matches in the last couple of rounds, now that we've sort of covered the most of the, well, the uh, four of the big five, at least. We're not talking about San Lorenzo so much, but it has to be said, difficult to find things to say stuff about, to be honest. Um, have any of the other matches really stood out for you guys in the last couple of rounds of league action? Well, it's basically just, just been the uh, the Pepe Sancho. Exactly. That was that was what I was about to say. Well, uh, what more can you say? Six goals and six ma- matches. Yeah. In the... I think in the last step, I don't know if we spoke about this in the last episode, but uh, um, not only Sand is uh, what has is breaking actually the the age record for 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 the the, the oldest man to score in in the in the Argentine tournament every single week basically, but is he also going for the oldest man to become top goal scorer in the first division of Argentine football? By definition, right? If if no one older than him has scored a goal, then. Yeah. And no one older than him has finished top scorer. I can guarantee you that without having to look at Yeah, up. pretty much. <laughs> pretty, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, and he's definitely going for it. Oh, he is. Yeah. He's, so. so he's on six goals at the moment. Uh, five games. Top, second top scorer is Manuel Castro of Estudiantes, who we've not mentioned at all, but he's on four goals. Uh, and then after that, Nicolás de la Cruz, Francisco Apaulaza, Martino Ojeda, Gastón Lodico, Lodico Ramiro Carrera and Milton Jimenez of uh, Central Córdoba de Santiago del Estero. Sorry, I just saw the club badge and was I didn't sleep well last night. I'm, I'm struggling to match badges to club names. Um, are all on three goals. So he's put himself in a fantastic position. There is still an awful lot of football to be played, of course, because we've got a big old short tournament ahead of us. Um but six match, five matches in, I should say, because of course Lanús haven't yet played this weekend. Uh, it's looking good for Pepe Sand. Indeed. Yeah, I mean, he hasn't had much opposition as of yet. It doesn't look like anyone's going to come out flying as a, as a real rival uh, for him at the top, which is a little bit sad, really, as well, um, considering a 41-year-old striker is so far and away the best that the Argentine top division's got. But you know, good on him. What can I say? Indeed. Um, I, I mentioned San Lorenzo a second ago quite disparagingly, but actually, given that they are one of the big five and we do expect 
a bit more from them, or maybe we don't expect a bit more from them really after the way their last few years have been going. They're currently sitting 11th. They've won two, drawn two, lost one. Any opinions as to just what's going on there, guys? Tumbleweed. At least it's marginally better than the last uh, the last time out uh, with everything blew up in Davos in Davos hands in the yeah, face. they haven't made that bad a start they just um you know they got absolutely tanked last week by Union they lost 4-0 uh and that's a hard one to come back from isn't it? um yeah, ever I think uh, we shall see yeah um, a shame a shame Tony couldn't join us because I'm sure he'd have loved to discuss it but um you think so yeah but yeah so those are your front runners so far. Down at the bottom, it's not been a happy return to the top flight for Platense. So far, they've lost three of their first five and drawn the other two. Um, there are a couple of other teams who haven't got wins yet. Boca, of course, as Dan already mentioned, haven't got a win, um, but have drawn four of their five games. And uh, Beles have got three draws and two defeats, but are actually above Rosario Central on goal difference, even though Central have won a match. Central have got one win and four four defeats, but uh, conceded far too many goals. Um, they also conceded far too many goals earlier this week when they were involved in a, what looked, I have to admit, I forgot it was taking place until I saw the result afterwards, um, but what looked like quite a thriller in the Copa Sudamericana. Did either of you manage to remember to watch this one? I think they were all on DirecTV, weren't they? I know uh, Thursday's games were. So I That would explain it. why it was so easy to miss. Although I think the Argentine sides are being shown on ESPN here as well. Ah, possibly. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Tuesday. But they they lost 4-3 at home to Red Bull Bragantino. Um, goals from Bruno Praxedis. Artur with a penalty to put uh, the visitors 2-0 up. Then Marco Ruben pulled one back. Artur scored another for open play, apparently, shortly before half-time. Um, and then in the opening 15 and a bit minutes of the second half, Central pulled two goals back to manage to equalise through Ruben and Milton Caraglio before Artur completed his hat-trick and got what turned out to be the winner on the night um, to make it 4-3 with about 15 minutes to go. So I guess it sets up the second leg quite nicely and I'll have to try and remember to... Um, pay more attention to the schedule. And I, I think that the issue is that my live score app tells me about the Libertadores matches, but doesn't alert me before a Sudamericana game. So I just didn't know it was taking place. Uh, yeah, the second leg of that then is on the 17th, which is Tuesday, at quarter past seven. I'm not sure why Argentine time is going to be at all relevant to most of our listeners, but there you go. If you two want to stick it in your diaries, then you can. Um, on that note, I think we will take a halftime break. Here's some theme music. back now we've just covered the last couple of weeks for the teams at the top of the table and very briefly for the teams at the bottom of the table there's not an awful lot to add domestically and unfortunately we've been scrabbling around and scratching our heads and trying to think of something anything at all that might have happened involving an Argentine footballer um, that's made some headlines in the world of football in the last week or so and nothing is springing to mind at all guys any ideas it's a difficult one you know apart from you know if we're talking about someone with links to Barcelona the, the obvious one is Pizzi leaving Racing mm. but... of course yeah yeah uh, also you know I think Nico Gonzalez had a pretty good debut with Fiorentina I think he scored yeah. and assisted okay that one I actually didn't know so thank you for <laughs> pointing that out Santi um we will, of course, be going into... Whoever's got your TV on, by the way, if you could mute it, that would be lovely. Um, yeah, I thought it might be Santi. There we go. That's better. Thank you, Santi. Um, we will, of course, be going into more detail on this in Hand of Pod Extra for our lovely Patreon supporters a bit later. But we should acknowledge here on the big podcast 
that Lionel Messi has left Barcelona, not entirely of his own volition, it has to be said. Um, both parties apparently wanted to sign the contract. Um, one thing I found out just right before we started recording, I, I hadn't realised, was that uh, the 50% pay cut that he'd um, agreed to take, and you know, lots of people saying, oh, well, why couldn't he take more? You know, If he loved the club that much, he'd pay for free or pay for minimum wage or whatever. Um, apparently, he's not allowed to. But apparently, Spanish employment law is that at most, he could have agreed to take a 50% pay cut. Um, so he actually was doing as much as he, he was legally allowed to do. Um, I've seen yeah. people going back and forth on this, to be honest. Um, like Other people replying to this assertion saying, no, this only um, applies to the second division. And others saying, no, but that's a legal thing. But And in employment law, it is actually like this. So it's all a little bit unclear um i think i think what one we thing can say for sure is that barcelona are absolutely fucked um, yeah but even if you even if he, he even if he played for free actually under barcelona i think it wouldn't have been enough uh for him to be registered because uh no, well, cuz even know, uh, yeah even without the him they're still they're, they're, exactly. the wages are still 90% the state, turnover exactly yeah the, well, they have to be at 70% Santi, are you speaking from Mars? I, I can like hear you from very, very far away. Oh, sorry. Um, the thing is, that I'm trying to speaking with uh, I'm trying to speaking with uh, with the earphones because uh, you know I'm, I'm busy doing something else at this moment. Uh, okay. Um, yeah. So we apologise anyway for for how Santi sounds at the moment. Um, but yeah, briefly, uh, I, I have to admit that that much as um, the uh, political and social side of, of how PSG are owned and run is not um, particularly salubrious, let's say, and, and we'll leave it at that. Um, Football-wise, it, it's it's interesting. Uh, it, it, it's going to be an interesting one to watch. Um, and also just the stage of his career that he's at, you know, the having played for one club for such a long time. I mean, he's clearly going to be a success. Uh, but but just what happens and, and how it all works out is is going to be fascinating to watch. Uh, I don't know whether either of you have any further thoughts on that. If you don't, then it's fine. We can just move on to listeners' questions. Um, yeah, I'll just think... say something very very quickly if you'll if you'll permit me. Yeah. Um, it's kind of transfer that if you hear it first, you think, oh shit, this is the end of football as we know it. This game is dead forever, but. I think the more you think about it, it, it just kind of makes sense. It's a club where a lot of Messi's kind of closest um, people in, in football are based, you know, like people like Di, Di Maria, people like Neymar, you know, with Paredes, he gets on very well as well. Um, so he's going to feel very comfortable there. It's a club where, you know, unlike in Barcelona, he's not going to have to put in amazing performances every week just to beat Getafe. Uh, which is probably a relief at 34 years old. Uh, you can concentrate on on the really big, the really big tournaments, um, and he's probably going to be a little bit more rested going into the World Cup, which can only be a good thing for Argentina. So, if we just think about it within the parameters of this podcast, uh, it clearly means uh, Argentina are going to win the World Cup next year in in Quarter. Yeah, Seba made the point in our WhatsApp group that from the Argentine national team's point of view, it's, it's probably a a good thing. Um, yes. You know, Barcelona, he'd have been training with, with Sergio Aguero day in, day out. But here he's going to be training with Leandro Paredes, as you mentioned, Angel Di Maria. Um, I'm not sure how relevant the fact that Mauricio Pochettino might one day end up managing Argentina is going to be, because by the time that happens, I think there's a fairly good chance Messi isn't going to be playing football anymore. Um at least not professionally, but, you know, we'll see. Um, but, yeah, you know, I, ideally it would have been to almost any other club, but then ideally PSG's owners wouldn't be allowed to own football clubs and, and wouldn't be allowed to get that wealthy and, and all the rest of it. And that's an entirely different discussion. Anyway, moving on to listeners' questions. The first one that we've had is a few days old already. It's from Janet Hopper, who says, my big hand of pod question is how will the AFA go about ruining the season. Um, now, I saw this one just before we started recording. As I said, Janet sent it a few days ago. Um, and my, my standard response 
when people sort of ask me, oh, how do you think this match is going to go? I mean, it's not something that I come out with on, on Twitter a lot or anything. You know, I engage with that stuff in good faith. But if my dad, for instance, who doesn't really watch very much football, hears that I'm watching a game and he's like, oh, how do you think it's going to go? Then my, my standard response, because I know he doesn't actually particularly care about the answer. He's just asking <laughs> to have a conversation with me. It's so, you know, if I knew that, then I, I wouldn't bother watching the game. Um, and in a non-facetious kind of way, I'm going to say, Janet, You've, you've been listening to us, I know, because you, you tweeted when you first found us, uh, for not very long. Um, and if we knew how the AFA were going to manage to screw something up during the course of this season, we wouldn't bother paying attention to it. They'll do something. It'll be surprising and hilarious when it happens. There's no possible way that we can predict it. You know, they might have a presidential election where they manage to cast more votes than there are people in the room. Uh, they're, they're, it could be any number of things. Um, the fun's always in the finding out, just waiting and seeing how exactly they're going to make a monumental fuck up of everything exactly why um, we're not going to ruin it for you even if we didn't john ewan has not tweeted us with a question but he has had a lovely looking argentine dinner at uh some steak restaurant in london whose name i'm not going to give you because uh you know they've not paid us but i am going to retweet john's john's tweet so that's just as good really at giving them publicity and it means you can have a look at his lovely steak um other questions. Darren Paul says, just what the heck is happening at my football club? Now, Darren's football club is, of course, English Dan's football club. So to an extent, this question has been asked already. But Dan, do you have anything to add to what you said earlier? I mean, nothing much has changed, really. As I said um, in the first half, nothing much has changed from what's been happening all year. A team that doesn't play very good football at all, which has been found out in almost all of the games where it had to step up a level um, and which now will have to go a different direction, uh, which is very unclear still, which that will be. Um, there was talk about Machirana taking over as coach now, PC's gone, um, which is original. And apparently um, Vitor Blanco, the... The Racing president said something like uh, he was at a an event with Machirano the other day and and he brought the subject up and, and Machirano didn't seem too appalled at the prospect and and that's what's put him in the run for the job. So it sounds like whatever's happening at Racing, there aren't going to be any um, monumental changes uh, in this kind of drift that they found themselves in over the last year or so. I like Blanco's way of selling that. He's basically saying, well, look, I mentioned the possibility to him and he didn't laugh in my face. So uh, I think it's essentially it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He basically gave me a thumbs up. Um, perfect, Tommy. If PSG get off to a rough start, could Gasharado come in and turn things around? Interesting one. I, mean, I doubt it, to player, be honest. Of course, isn't it? But... It's an interesting one. Like, so Barcelona's out and now PSG are in every time there. Uh... Gasharra's linked with Europe. Well, he is a former PSG player, isn't he? Yeah, and yeah, and the rumours have been there for, for a while. Um, I don't know. I mean, if I know I say this every year, but uh, if there was a time to leave River, I mean, assuming that they can't turn it around against Menado, uh, you think it would be now? I don't know. Yeah, to be honest, I always ambitioned. Uh, I always ambitioned Gachardo as a future Monaco manager if uh, Nico Kovac uh, catches a bad run of games. Because I mean, he's he hasn't just played at Monaco; he's beloved at Monaco. He won the Ligue 1 in two thousand. I think he would find a better atmosphere there. Yeah, and you think just practically as well. I mean, you're talking about the club with the biggest budget in the world. They've just brought the world's best player. They're expected to win everything. Um, and taking a punt on someone who's never coached in Europe, uh, that would be one hell of a gamble at this um, at this point, I think. He's been champion of his continent as a manager twice as many times as PSG have been in their history, though. So there's that. But yeah, I mean, obviously I'd agree. Monaco seemed like the more natural fit and, and in terms of the amount of pressure that would immediately be heaped on him it, it seems like a slightly more realistic level while still being a club who can you know 
have have ambitions to get to the sort of level that Gachardo wants to be managing at if he goes. I, it, it's an interesting one as well when I think of how, how often we feel that this kind of question about Gachardo. I think that to a large extent, obviously some of it is the relationship between him and Rodolfo Donofrio, uh, River's president. But there's also a large extent to which I think the River have just been quite fortunate that Gachardo clearly doesn't want to join a club partway through a campaign and the South American, well, the Argentine and European seasons don't line up which means that every time recently, particularly for the Libertadores, since it's gone to a year-round thing, every time the Libertadores has just finished, the European season is, is in the middle of the season. And he's sort of like, well, I don't want to you know, jump ship and, and join a, a process that's already partway through. And then when the European season ends, River have just finished the group stage of the Libertadores and he's looking forward to trying to win another one. Um, so it's an interesting dynamic. I, just, I wonder how differently his career might have gone as a manager if the South American season was lined up with the European season, um, there might not be anything in that. I, I just think it's an interesting alternative history. Uh, David Novoshevsky says, is there any hidden gem in attack anywhere in the, I presume it means the Argentine league, that Arsenal, North London, not Sarandi, can sign? I'm asking for a friend. Uh, Pepe San? Honestly, <laughs> though, I really like Facundo Farias. I was going to say Farias, yeah. He's looked cracking, yeah. Very uh, good player. Julian Alvarez, I think, is, is clearly going to, to get a big move at some point in his so far nascent career, but I think it would be stretching it a bit to call him a hidden gem, given that he's playing at River, and we've talked about him a fair bit. But yeah, Farias... He's Copa America winning, yeah. Indeed, yeah. Uh, Farias looks um, looks a really interesting prospect. Santi, you're an Arsenal fan, of course, as well. Do you know whether they've been linked with anybody or here? I mean... Yeah, to be honest, um, Arsenal's um, targets have been pretty uniform in the sense that, uh, you know, the same names have been banging on over and over and over. You know, Martin Odegaard from Real Madrid, Lautaro Martinez from Inter, who I definitely think is not coming, uh, Tammy Abraham, uh, Adam Ramsdale. So no Argentines except, of course, Lautaro, and especially no Argentines from from the local league. I would really, really like, for example, to... to Someone like Gonzalo Montiel for right back, but he's already joined Sevilla, which I think is a great move for him. So no. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, after seeing them against Brentford a few hours ago, I, I think Arsenal could do with almost literally anybody up front. <laughs> but um, anyway, I'll, I'll take my boot out of your stomach now, Santi. Uh, Liam Delaney says Celtic have been linked with Fabricio Bustos. What are your thoughts? Another one for you, I guess, Santi. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know, here's the thing. Uh, Bustos uh, only has less than one year on his contract. It will run out in June. So Independiente at this moment in a race to, to sign an extension to his contract. But the thing is, I think it's going to be real difficult because there will be elections in December. Uh, and to be honest, I really don't think a lot of decisions will take place before that. And that's going to really, really hurt Independiente. And if they don't uh, move quickly... It is very likely that someone like Celtic will be able to sign Bustos on a free, which will be really, really damaging for Independiente because at this moment, Bustos is basically their best player by far. He's, he's becoming much more intelligent than when he first uh, emerged. He's now better at backtracking defensively. He's creating a lot of chances. He's, um, he's very good in his runs and, um, and even his end product has improved a lot. So, I mean, I think uh, he would be a massive signing for Celtic, but please... Give us some money, please. Uh, Darren Paul, replying to Perfect Tommy's question about Gachardo taking over at PSG, says it's about damn time he got a big job in Europe if he wants it. I'd have said United pre-Ole, but Ole is at the wheel. Um, I'm just always reminded with, with this as well of Jonathan Wilson's comment when he was on years ago about how managers tend to you know, spend about a decade at their peak and Gachardo is now, you know, at his managerial peak, uh, has been here for a really pretty decent chunk of, of what might turn out to be his peak. So I would agree, if, if he ever wants to have a really a shot at managing at the very top level in Europe, uh, he is going to need to take it. Um, yeah, just that. Uh, thank you for the comment, Darren. Bolivar Vargas says since the youth tournaments in South America are cancelled this year, 
which Argentine prospect are you most excited about for the next under-20 Sudamericano? Uh, the Barco and Sule look exciting. I'm also intrigued by Maximo Perrone at Beles. Cheers. Gents. Well, the next one's going to be in 2023, isn't it? So probably yeah, players we haven't even heard of now. Indeed, yeah. That, that, that's the main yeah. thing, isn't it? Because there'll be about 15 or 16, some of them at the moment. Yeah, or 16, 17 at least, yeah. Won't Farias be 20 by then? So he could Farias, be yeah, could be around. Difficult to say otherwise, though. Uh, oh, that's all of them. That was the final one. So thank you very much, everybody, for questions. Um, I'm trying to work out whether we've missed anything. I, I don't think we have, except, of course, for Mystic Sam. So... Just after this uh, lovely theme music, well, you'll since, hear. Um, oh, Sam, on, no. sorry. Yeah, go on. Uh, since Bolivar uh, brought it up, we could just say, do a bit on that, because I think it's the under-20 Sudamericano and the women's tournaments as well that have been cancelled, right? The Libertadores and the Copa America. Yeah, and it, it, this is a recent decision, then, is it? I've, I've been yes, this following week, things in the, world of, uh, in the world of publishing for about the last week and a half. Um, so you'll have to forgive me. Fill us in, then. Uh, just what I said, basically. Uh, I think <laughs> that was an interesting bit. Thank you. Uh, no, carry on. Well, just yeah, there won't be a uh, a women's Copa America this year, uh, nor Copa Libertadores, I believe. Um, Santi can correct me if I'm wrong. And also the uh, the youth tournaments have been. Uh, here I've got the list um, for 2021. The under-20 femininos, under-17 femenino, which have been held over from 2020. Under-17, under-20 and under-15 masculino, so that's men's. Uh, the Copa America men's and women's of futsal. Under-20s beach and... As that only says... I think that's it. says futsal, but I, I'm sure I saw... It was the Copa America too. Yeah, what's what's the? I think the saddest thing about that about all this is that we haven't been provided a, a reason for this. You know, COVID doesn't work anymore because all of the tournaments. They have basically been said yeah because COVID, but nothing more than that really. Yeah, I mean everything's firmly underway now again, isn't it? Really, there might not be any fans in the stadium, but by and large, football is being played again. Um, so yeah, interesting one. Anyway, um, if we don't have anything else to add, gents, then I will play Mystic Sam's theme music now and come back with my predictions afterwards. Okay, here we go then. My predictions for the weekend. I was about to say the weekend to come because that's what I always say, but of course it's already underway. Uh, Colón versus Gimnasia is the first match. I think that Colón are going to win that one. <clears throat> Huracán versus Unión is nil-nil after 20 minutes, and I think that Unión are going to win it. I'm just looking at the television at the moment because they're currently attacking. Uh, Atletico Tucumán versus Aldo Civi is tomorrow's lunchtime kickoff. I, I'm just realising now that I'm really not aware of really much of the form of most of the teams in mid-table, uh, but I'll go with Atletico Tucumán to win that. Argentinos Juniors, I think, will get a win over Banfield. River will be hosting Vélez tomorrow, Saturday, uh, early evening. I'm assuming that it's going to be a largely reserve Riverside, given their situation in the Libertadores, but I think that they will get a win. Rosario Central hosting Independiente in the late kickoff, and I think that one's going to be... Well, Central, of course, are also in a sticky position in their own continental tie, aren't they? So I think Independiente will get the win there. On Sunday, Patronato versus Central Cordoba is going to be a draw... Platense versus Arsenal is going to be an Arsenal win. Estudiantes versus Boca is a draw. Racing versus Newells is a Newells win. And on Monday, I'm going for Tacheres to get a home win over San Lorenzo. Defensa y Justicia 
to draw at home to Sarmiento and Lanús to beat Godoy Cruz in Lanús. Any disagreements with any of those gents? But, well, I mean, not that all of them are going to be correct anyway, but any particularly strong disagreements or agreements with any of those? Sounds about fair. Yeah, I would I would, I would say in the main term, more likely to get a draw against Rosario Central because, you know, Falcioni and stuff. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you're predicting us to keep to, to keep the, the top seal, basically. Good luck. Indeed, yes. I, you're, you're quite right. I suppose I am. But um, as I say, I'm assuming that Central are going to put out a very second string side, given that they're a goal behind and need a, a result away from home in the Sudamericana. Well, we did we, we did get a nil-nil after a second string Argentino side. True. Yeah. We'll see. Maybe you'll have better luck this time around. Um, on that note, I think it's time to wrap up for this week. So thank you very much indeed for listening. Uh, thanks and goodbye from English Dan. Goodbye. From Santi. See you around. And from me, thank you and goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>